Church of Christ presents In the Valley of the Shadow, Unafraid, a reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said those words, and almost every Sunday, I repeat them after our prayer of unburdening, reminding us of these words and of that promise. And most of the time, I believe them. I believe that Jesus came to offer us a gateway to abundant life. But just now in this valley of the shadow, when the world is caught up in fear over the pandemic and the coming economic crisis, when our government can't seem to say the same thing from the beginning to the end of one press conference, when people are so afraid and angry at being afraid that they're carrying weapons into state capitals and dredging up white supremacist slogans to express their rage. Just now, in this valley of the shadow, it's important to think about what we mean by the word abundant. We know that there's a whole branch of American Protestantism caught up in the heresy known as the prosperity gospel. It's slippery because it's wrapped around with the language of self-help. We recognize its most glaring excess in popular preachers who promise their congregations that God wants them to be wealthy and healthy. And if they'll just send money to the church and believe hard enough, they will be. And if anyone fails to thrive in these particular ways with health and wealth, well, they just haven't claimed their promise. They just need to have more faith. To be fair, I'm oversimplifying the prosperity gospel, but not by much. We don't believe ourselves to be caught up in this error, but what does abundant life mean to us? In Jesus's agrarian world, it might have meant abundant crops, lush fields, trees heavy with fruit, and fishing nets bursting with catch. It might have meant safety in a world where the rich overburdened the poor and profit always flowed upward. What else might it have meant? <clears throat> Some context for this reading in which Jesus assures his hearers that he is both the good shepherd and the gate by which the shepherd leads the sheep in and out to safety and goodness. This is a continuation of the story of the man born blind, one of those long stories from John that filled our Lenten readings. And Jesus is still talking, which is pretty much always true in the Gospel of John. Jesus is still talking. The story of the man born blind is one of the seven sign stories in John. In John, they're called signs rather than miracles, because what is most important is not the awe of the miracle, but the identity of Jesus for the people that the sign reveals. And every one of the signs follows the same pattern. Jesus performs an act, which is followed by a dialogue in which the observers try to make sense out of what happened, which is followed by a discourse in which Jesus interprets what has happened. 
In this case, Jesus saw a blind man, a man blind since birth, begging by the side of the road. Jesus called him and healed him. He put mud on his eyes and sent him to bathe in a particular pool. The man came back sighted, much to the consternation of the neighbors who couldn't understand it and didn't much like it. They took the man to the Pharisees to get their take on the whole situation, and they were not any better pleased than the neighbors. It can't be, they said. First of all, are you really the same man who was begging every day? Secondly, who is this guy who gave you the mud? What was he doing healing on the Sabbath? Any kind of labor on the Sabbath is against God's law for the people. So whatever just happened can't be of God. Even the man's own parents didn't want to have too much to do with the whole situation. They were afraid of being sent out of the synagogue, which would mean losing their ritual, their social, and even their economic world. But the man who was healed knows what he knows. He was blind and now he can see. And Jesus is the reason. And since Jesus had done this amazing feat, it must be from God, Sabbath or no Sabbath. The leaders of the synagogue did just what the man's parents were afraid they would do. They drove the man out of the synagogue. They drove him out, but Jesus welcomed him in. And today's reading is the first half of Jesus's long interpretation of what has happened. He describes himself as both the good shepherd, whose sheep know his voice and follow him. And when the disciples failed to understand that metaphor, he said, I am the gateway to that place of safety. The gate and the shepherd work together for the well-being of the sheep so that the whole flock, and not just this flock, but all the flocks, thrive. Having already restored the man's sight, Jesus sought him out again after he was kicked out of the synagogue and brought him into the community of his own followers. The man followed the voice of Jesus before he could see him, and it led him to new life. He was saved not just from his blindness, but from being on the margin of his culture, from being isolated. He's brought into the safety of community and thereby into a new and abundant life. Perhaps this then is the measure of abundant life, not when the few have a superfluous overmuch, but when everyone has enough. Enough access to everything that makes life thrive, to food, to safety, to inclusion. The 23rd Psalm offers us another image of abundant life. It's the story of a sheepy feast fresh water and abundant pasture, and safety in which to enjoy it, even though one's enemies and dangers of all kinds are right there. It's also the story of a journey that God oversees and guides, a journey in the face of peril and death, a journey of right paths that God reveals. So if God is the good shepherd, caring and tender, that makes us sheep. 
Now, sheep have gained a reputation in preaching circles anyway as being not very bright. They're easily spooked, easily frightened, and easily scattered. They must be led to water. Even if it is within sight, they must be led to good pasture. They're vulnerable to falling into gullies from which they cannot climb out alone. I'm not especially happy about this comparison. I chafe under the image of people as docile and dopey, needing to be saved because we cannot save ourselves. And yet, perhaps it is good for us to consider our human tendency to allow our fear to drive us, to consider our frustrating tendency as individuals and as communities to get led off track, to scatter in the face of danger instead of sticking together. One thing I know is true of sheep. I've seen it on a friend's farm down in Virginia. My son Caleb and I used to go visit there when he was a toddler. And we, we loved to go, especially in the spring when there were new lambs. And we'd go and we'd stand just inside the enclosure. And we'd call gently and we'd move gently. And the sheep were utterly uninterested in anything we said or did, as long as we moved slowly and quietly. If we got too close to them, if we moved too quickly, they shied away from us. But they would no more follow us to water than they would climb a tree. But when my friend Anne stepped into the, into the enclosure and said, sheep, 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 every head turned, and as one, they moved toward her. And every time we visited, no matter what time of year, and over all the years that we lived in Virginia, there was one little lamb that came first. They all turned, they all came, but this one sprinted every time. And when we tried to figure out why, and we knew because it had a tag with its number on its ear, we were curious about this sprinter. And she said, this one was a bummer lamb. I had never heard of a bummer lamb. Apparently sometimes sheep give birth to twins and they'll reject one of them. They'll kick it out. They won't nurse it. They won't let it come in close to stay warm at night. They just reject it. And if it isn't taken in by the shepherd, it will die. But Anne was a good shepherd. And so like all good shepherds, she took it into her house and wrapped it in blankets and kept it warm and bottle fed it and kept it with her until it was old enough and weaned enough to be released into the field with the other sheep. And there, it flourished and was accepted in the herd as, as the flock as just another sheep. Except for one thing, whenever Anne went out and called sheep, sheep, that one would run the fastest and the hardest and get there first. And Anne's explanation for this was, I don't love it any more than the others, but it knows that I love it. Here in this valley of shadow, where our usual ways of experiencing our own meaning and our own belovedness are attenuated, may we together listen for and trust the voice of the shepherd. May we be the ones who look first and run fastest. May we remember that we are invited into abundant life, even in this valley, into full, exuberant, secure, 
and relational life. Life that is rich in love, rich in meaning, and rich in relationship. This is the abundant life promised by God. The only way an excess of the material stuff of life can contribute to an abundant life is if it is used for sharing, for blessing and welcoming others with a glad and generous heart. This abundant life can happen right in the face of our enemies, in the midst of pain, confusion, and loss. Because an abundant life is an accompanied life. We are not left alone, but are empowered by the Spirit, accompanied by the Good Shepherd, and by one another, the face of the Good Shepherd for each other. Listen, listen, listen.